Let us turn in God's word this evening to Psalm 119, starting at verse 105. Sermon this evening is about the keys of the kingdom, focusing especially on the key of preaching. So as we read through Psalm 119, or a part of it, I encourage you to look for instruction from God's word about the power of his word. Psalm 119, starting at verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me. O Lord, according unto thy word, accept, I beseech thee, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers. For I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up and I shall be safe. And I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes. For their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. I have done judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy, and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding, that I may know thy testimonies. It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul doth keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me, and be merciful unto me, 
as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. We stop our reading of God's word at that point. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. It's on the basis of what we read this evening and many other passages of scripture as well that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 31. We read and focus this evening on the first two questions and answers, 83 and 84. In the future, God willing, we'll turn to question and answer 85. What are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? The answer, the preaching of the holy gospel and Christian discipline or excommunication out of the Christian church. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. How is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? The answer thus, when according to the command of Christ, it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that Whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers and such as do not sincerely repent, that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation, so long as they are unconverted. According to which testimony of the gospel, God will judge them both in this and in the life to come. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a question that is raised with regard to this particular Lord's Day as it fits in the broader context of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the question is this, how does the instruction of this Lord's Day, which teaches us about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, fit with the theme of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is Comfort. You know that that is the theme of the Catechism from beginning to end. It's woven throughout the Catechism like a thread. The very first question and answer What is thy only comfort in life and in death? And when we think of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
probably not the first thing that comes to our mind is the comfort that comes from the use of those keys. When children think of keys, physical keys, think of a steel key, perhaps on a ring, jangling, think perhaps of a custodian of a large building, there's this large ring of keys and there's many keys coming off that ring and always amazed at the fact that the custodian can figure out what doorway the particular keys open. But comfort when thinking of keys, even when we understand the keys, not physically, but spiritually, and think of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that sounds stern, firm, unshaking keys. Think of elders doing the work of discipline. You think of admonishments and rebukes given unto someone, and especially our minds can gravitate toward the negative aspect of the keys, namely the keys as they bar someone from coming to the Lord's table and eventually someone even being excommunicated out of the church of Jesus Christ. And yet, comfort? How is there comfort when one thinks of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. There is comfort, beloved. And the comfort is this. For the keys are there Jesus is. For Jesus is the one who holds the keys and exercises sovereign power over the keys. In the church where the keys are present and in the church where the keys are used, there Jesus is in that church. And in the church where the keys are absent, in the church where there is no pure preaching of the Word, and in the church where there is no Christian discipline that is done, then Jesus is not in that church. Your comfort is that where the keys are, there Christ is. Let's consider then this evening the keys of the kingdom preaching. Focusing this evening on the first and primary key. In the future, God willing, we'll turn to the secondary key, discipline. First, let's consider what is the idea of the keys. Second, the preaching as a key. And then third, the preaching as the primary key. We're speaking here about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which then raises the question, well, what do keys do? 
Children understand how, even what a key does. You take that key and you insert that into the lock of the door. The key is suited, adapted to fit that particular door, fits that door and not other doors. And then when that key is inserted into the door, you may turn that key in the lock of the door and it unlocks the door so that then that door may be open and then you may enter into that room. And so the immediate question then is, what is the room, the building, the place to which we are seeking to gain access? But the, the keys, what, what do they lock? And this is an important question here, what, what we're seeking to enter into. If it's just a closet, a storage closet perhaps, then there's not much interest in that room. Nobody cares that much about where the keys are at for that room. But on the other hand, consider that, and this happens sometimes, Consider that your child, your young child, is locked inside of a vehicle and it's hot outside and you cannot get inside of that vehicle because the keys are lost. Now suddenly there's some urgency to finding those keys. The parents almost become frantic as they search for the keys so that they can open the door and be reunited with their child in the vehicle. See, it makes all the difference in the world what's behind that door. What does this key open up? Who's behind that door? You know who's behind that door that the keys of the kingdom of heaven opens up? It's your grandparents who have gone before you into heaven. It's children whom God has been pleased to take in infancy and bring them very quickly off of this earth into the joys of heaven. You know what's behind that door? Who's behind that door? It's Jesus, the King over His church, the suffering servant who came into this world in order to lay down his life on the cross for his people. Oh, and when you think of the kingdom of heaven in those terms, you become almost frantic with eager anticipation to have that door be opened up so that one can enter into the joys of heaven. How does, how does one enter heaven? There are keys 
keys that are used that open up the kingdom of heaven to believers and keys which shut the kingdom of heaven against all those who are unbelievers. Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, verse 19, said to Peter, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Unfathomable, unspeakable power that God has given unto these keys. There is no greater power that can be found on this earth than the power of these keys. A twofold power that God has granted unto these keys. These keys either grant access unto the kingdom of heaven or these keys deny access unto the kingdom of heaven. They either secure one safely within the kingdom of heaven or they lock one everlastingly outside of that kingdom. If the key enters into that lock and turns and unlocks that door, then unto that person there is granted eternal life. But if the key turns and locks that door shut and it is dead bolted, then try though one might, though the unbeliever never would try, to break down that door and enter into heaven, he will not be able, for that door is locked. The Catechism speaks of believers and unbelievers. By these two, by these two keys, the kingdom of heaven is open to believers and shut against unbelievers. Every single person upon this earth falls within one of those two categories. There's no in between. It's either one is a child of God who has been granted a living faith in God and thus the keys of the kingdom are open, open the kingdom to that individual. Or it is the case that that individual lacks faith. And that individual is an unbeliever and the keys of the kingdom then shut that individual outside of the glories of heaven. One either has faith and upon this earth walks by faith and is guided by faith and marries by faith and bears children and raises up those children by faith. Or one does all of those things without faith, but in unbelief. Understanding then generally this idea of the keys, that the keys open or close the doors of the kingdom of heaven, let us now focus our attention on the first key of the preaching. The preaching. According to the catechism, the preaching is a declaration and it is a testimony. Answer 84, how is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the Holy Gospel? 
Thus, when according to the command of Christ it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer. The idea that preaching can be illustrated with that of an ambassador. Ambassador is sent out and he goes to a foreign nation. That ambassador is sent not by himself, but he's sent by the one who rules over him. That ambassador goes not to the location of his choosing, but to the location chosen by the king. The ambassador brings not his own words, not his own sentiments, not his own feelings or interpretations, but the ambassador brings precisely the words that the king has commissioned him to bring. As the ambassador brings those words, he brings them as a declaration. He declares these words. There's authority to the words that the ambassador brings. Not because the authority of himself has power, but there's authority to those words because of the source, the origin of those words. Because the words of the ambassador have their origin in the king himself, who has been granted sovereign power over that particular land. Then when the ambassador speaks on behalf of the king, the ambassador brings words that have the right to rule over those who hear those words. The ambassador, as he brings those words, publicly testifies those words. It's in his best interest for all of the citizens of that particular kingdom to be able to hear the words of the king that he has been instructed to bring unto them. That's a picture, beloved, of the preaching and the preacher. As God sends forth the preacher, God is sovereign over where the preacher goes. He's sovereign over what the message of the preaching is. And because the origin of the preaching is in Jesus Christ himself, there's power and there is authority in that preaching. All of that must be understood if we're going to understand how the preaching functions as a key that opens or closes the kingdom of heaven. Now what then is the content of the preaching. One more thing we must understand before we relate this to the idea of a key. What's the content of it? The catechism tells us what is the content of the preaching. When it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. That's the content of the preaching, the promise of the gospel. Psalm 119, verse 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. 
We must carefully understand the idea of the promise of the gospel as being the content of the preaching. There's a significant difference between maintaining that the preaching is the promise of the gospel and the preaching being the offer of the gospel. The offer of the gospel sets forth the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, as a gift. Here it is. Jesus Christ has performed the work for you at the cross. Jesus Christ makes available to you this work, this finished work. Jesus Christ would even desire that you avail yourself of His work performed at Calvary. But there's one thing left for you to do according to this teaching of the offer of the Gospel. You must reach forth and grab that Gospel. If you do that work of grabbing a hold by faith of that gospel, then this gospel becomes yours. Can you see how that deals a death blow? That teaching deals a death blow to the idea of the preaching as being a key that has power to open or close the kingdom of heaven? If the preaching is nothing more than an offer of the gospel, you may take it or you may receive or you may reject it, then that proclamation of the gospel has no power to open or to close the doors of the kingdom of heaven. Then who holds the keys in that situation? It's not Jesus Christ, but it's you. You would hold the keys. And you would determine your own destiny whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. No, it is not the offer of the gospel, but it is the promise of the gospel that the preaching sets forth. How then does this preaching of the gospel function as a key power by which doors are shut or doors are open? To understand this, we must recall that there is always power in the preaching. So long as the Word of God is preached faithfully according to the Holy Scriptures, then the preaching has an effect. It has an effect because it is God Himself through Jesus Christ who sends forth that Word. 
And as God sends forth his word, that word never returns unto him void. That word opens or that word closes. That word binds or that word lets loose. That word hardens the heart of man or that word softens the heart of man. The word of God, according to Hebrews 4 verse 12, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of man's heart. The Word of God is, according to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 16, a savor of life unto life and a savor of death unto death. There is, from a certain perspective, a very dangerous thing that happens as the Word of God is preached forth among the congregation. A dangerous thing that happens because Jesus Christ speaks unto His people. And Jesus Christ, as He addresses the congregation, is at work through the preaching. And the work of Jesus Christ is always a twofold work. Either He is drawing unto Himself those who are His children in which case the word of God is of great comfort and much assurance to that individual. Or the word of God as it goes forth through the preaching is serving the effect of hardening the hearts of those who will not repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, verse 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. The reason that the preaching hardens the hearts of some as it goes forth is because the preaching is offensive. Is that preaching offensive? Not every aspect of it is offensive. Some aspects of the preaching are endearing to us. We like to hear of a benevolent Father in heaven. We like to hear of grace and mercy and love and kindness. But the reason the preaching is offensive is the preaching sets forth the gospel. And the gospel sets forth unto us our only Savior, who is Jesus Christ. The preaching sets forth the need for that Savior. It sets forth the reality of our sinfulness, of our depravity, of our inability to keep the law of God perfectly. The preaching sets forth the reality that in our sinful state, we are in a state of misery that we have willingly plunged ourselves into darkness and that of ourselves there is no hope and no escape of, no hope of escaping out of that 
pit. That's what the preaching sets before us. And to the proud, to the carnal, to the reprobate, to the unbelieving individual, that word of God is offensive. He hates the thought that there is absolutely nothing that he can do that will contribute unto his salvation. And so as the word of God, the gospel is proclaimed, Sabbath day by Sabbath day, it has this effect on that individual that more and more he despises the kingdom of God. It's not as if that unbelieving individual is standing there at the kingdom of God, standing at the doorway into that kingdom, and he knocks on that door and he wants to enter into that door. No, it's quite the opposite. For the individual who lacks faith, he despises that kingdom of God. He despises it exactly because God is there. And he cannot stand the thought of being in the presence of a thrice holy God. And so he flees from that kingdom of God. Already on this earth, the carnal individual who is not the child of Jesus Christ distances himself more and more from that kingdom of Jesus Christ. The catechism speaks of that, that already in this lifetime, the end of answer 84, according to which testimony of the gospel, God will judge them both in this and in the life to come. It's not just that we have to wait until that judgment day, that then God will execute His judgment on that individual. No, already in the preaching of the Word, Jesus Christ is judging that carnal individual. What a dangerous thing it is for the unbeliever to come into the midst of the congregation and to stand so close to the voice of Jesus Christ and not have his heart softened but despise the preaching. God drives that individual away. Psalm 119 verse 119, thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love thy testimonies. That is, beloved, what we might call the negative power of the preaching as it functions as a key. There is yet the positive side of the preaching as it functions as the key of the kingdom of heaven. And to the believing child of God, the preaching has exactly the opposite effect as it goes forth. Instead of hardening that individual, it softens his or her heart. Instead of driving that individual away from the kingdom, it draws and it binds into the kingdom, secures into the kingdom. 
It does so exactly for the same reason because Jesus speaks through the preaching. And according to John 10, the sheep hear the voice of Jesus Christ. They recognize His voice and they love the voice of the Good Shepherd. The effect of the preaching upon this individual is that faith is worked in the heart of that child. Faith which unites that individual unto Jesus Christ. Faith by which I abide in Jesus, and Jesus by His Holy Spirit and His Word abides in me. The preaching of the Gospel brings unto the believer the good news that God is not angry with me, God is not holding me as it were by a thread over the fire of condemnation. God is not ready to destroy me. God does not hate me. But the proclamation of the gospel to the believing child of God is that God grants unto me the remission of my sins for Jesus' sake. The proclamation of the gospel to the believer is that God views me not as I am by nature, as one who is unworthy of the least of his blessings, The proclamation of the gospel to the believing child is that God, for Jesus' sake, pours out upon me all of the blessings, the heavenly blessings, which Jesus Christ earned for me through his sacrificial death on the cross. Sweetly and powerfully, God the Father bends the will of his children so that more and more they seek Jesus Christ and are secure within his kingdom. We do not have to wait until death, that then the kingdom of heaven is opened up unto us. It's not as if all this life all our time on this earth, all our life long, we live wondering with a certain nervous anticipation, frightful of whether the door of heaven will be opened to us or whether it will be closed to us. No, already in this lifetime, God, through the preaching, addresses his own and opens up to them the door of the kingdom of heaven. For where is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus teaches that it's right in our hearts. Luke 17, 20 and 21. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. 
So you can already see, beloved, how the preaching is the beloved key and the primary key. The other key, Christian discipline, we will look at in the weeks ahead. But the preaching, as it's compared to Christian discipline, is the primary key. Primary because it's the key that's used most frequently, used far more regularly than what the key of Christian discipline is used. Christian discipline is used when necessary, when there is impenitence in an individual, and then the elders have their attention called to that individual, and then with much patience, and prayer and love, then the work of Christian discipline begins with that individual. But in comparison is the use of the key of preaching. It's not used just when necessary, when occasion demands it, but the preaching as a key power happens every single Sunday, twice, as we come into God's house. How thankful we can be that this is the primary key, preaching. How disheartening it would be if the primary key of the kingdom was that of Christian discipline. You'd never be able to get a man who would let his name stand for the office of elder. If that was the primary key, the key of Christian discipline, But thanks be to God that the primary key is the preaching. And then, further, why is the preaching the primary key? Primary because preaching is a key works or convicts in a way that Christian discipline is unable to work. Christian discipline has its limitations. There are times where an individual can perhaps put on a false front to the consistory. He's been walking in sin for a while. The consistory begins working with him. And that individual, weary of the consistory working with him, puts on a front of piety. He hasn't actually changed, but just to get the elders away from him, He changes his behavior outwardly. Although that individual might be able to get the elders away from knocking on his door, that individual as he or she comes to church is still going to have the voice of Jesus Christ go forth. And that voice of Jesus Christ is able to convict and prick the conscience in a way that Christian discipline as a key is unable to do. And then finally, we see that the preaching is the primary key. For it is the key that most especially binds us unto Jesus 
Christ. The preaching as it goes forth by the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ has the amazing effect of working in us a desire to be with Jesus. And as that preaching draws us more and more unto Jesus Christ, it also has this effect, beloved. It draws us as a congregation closer together. For the closer that we are unto Jesus Christ, then the closer we are to the body of Jesus Christ, which is His church. It is my prayer, my desire, that God would work in you as members of this congregation a love for the primary key of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching. It is my prayer that the elders would rule over and watch over the preaching as watchmen on the walls of Zion. And it is my prayer, and I trust yours as well, that God give unto me the strength faithfully to exercise and use that key to the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of His church on this earth Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that Jesus Christ, according to His sovereign power, holds the keys of the kingdom of heaven in His hand. Grant us faith to believe the words of Scripture when Jesus Christ gave unto Peter those keys. Father, help us as office bearers to use these keys with discernment and love and submission unto thy word. Bless and keep us. Send us home later on this evening with thy blessing. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen. Let's sing now, Psalter number 334. 334. Based on Psalm 119, thy precepts are my heritage, for daily they my heart rejoice. To keep thy statutes faithfully shall ever be my willing choice. Let's sing the four stanzas, 334.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen.